And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Be the best and you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich? How we doing? Jordan, I'm glad to see you've made it out of Detroit. I know it was a, a harrowing <laughs> experience to, for everybody to try to get out of Detroit. But yeah, uh, if people are listening. They don't know the Rams plane yeah. got stuck for hours and hours and hours. There were players and coaches that fell asleep on that plane in Detroit and woke up thinking they'd landed in Los Angeles oh. and still were in Detroit. And uh, my flight uh, was the next morning and I was actually on the plane with a lot of the the wives and and partners and girlfriends. And, um, I was, um, uh, we were all kind of marveling about how, um, they were taxiing in front of us in LA as we landed in LA, like my flight was departed 12 hours after the Rams flight was supposed oh. to depart. And we still landed at about the same time at LAX. So, um, I felt for those guys because not only was the loss 23, 24, 23 wildcard loss, in Detroit, so brutal. I mean, they all, they, they, to a T, I mean, you go back and you listen to these interviews that they've done this week, Rich, and after the game, they the, the Rams genuinely walked into that building thinking that they were going to win the game, and they almost did. Yeah. And they had this confidence. They were playing with this confidence through the end part of the year that they really did genuinely carry through into, into that game. And we'll, we'll get to it. A few things yeah. here and there uh, led to their downfall. And uh, surprisingly, not special teams actually uh, right although i guess you could make an argument we'll get to it yeah, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we're gonna go down that rabbit hole but um can, it wasn't a missed, it wasn't a missed yeah. field goal that's all i could say I oh, think- and i kept thinking that Jordan, <laughs> not to get into that i'm like i almost texted you except i knew you were really busy and didn't want to get a text from me but i almost texted you and said this is going to come down to a field goal and it darn near did um, but not quite, unfortunately, for the Rams. They would have liked to have been in that position to have a field goal uh, be the difference in the game, but came up just a little short, 24-23. Great game. We're going to have a lot to say about it and the ramifications of it. Uh, it denied us what I would have called the dead cap bowl between the Rams <laughs> and the Buccaneers. Uh, the Baker which, Bowl. The Baker Bowl also, yeah. <laughs> but uh, instead, you get two former Rams quarterbacks uh dueling for the chance to go to the uh, NFC championship game. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. But Jordan, as we record here Wednesday afternoon, you just uh, recently uh, got off a a call with Sean McVay, quite a lengthy call and learned a little bit about what's going on in the uh, immediate aftermath of of this Rams game. And there is some newsy stuff here, depending on when people are listening to this uh, and things that are very, very Serious, uh, starting with Tyler Higby learning or having it confirmed, I should say, that uh, 
according to Sean, if I read it correctly, tore both his ACL and his MCL. So why don't we start there, Jordan? I mean, everybody like Tyler Higby, just so star-crossed with his injury luck here and, and all of that. But um, this is a big one. And, and what's it going to mean for his summer and maybe even going into next season? Yeah, well, that's also what I was getting to about them being stuck on the plane for that long. Um, Tyler Higby has a torn ACL and a torn MCL and is again, they're stuck on a plane like in a t- in those tiny seats, um, a six foot four or five human with a torn up knee and possibly more things because he already came into the game dealing with the shoulder stinger. And we saw him land horribly after that hit, that low hit by Kirby Joseph oh, um, and head. and and. Dem- displayed a level of pain that we don't usually see from Tyler Higby. He usually kind of just, I mean, there's been years that he's been hurt with something and, and we just don't know until the very end of the season. Um, but this, this looked, it was, it looked brutal. There's a couple of, of um, really, really nasty looking situations in this game. We'll get, we'll get to it, but um, they're sitting on this plane and he's again, he's, his knee is shredded up and you know, all of those guys probably feel like they've been hit by several cars. You hear players talk about um, what it feels like to um, to f- to take a hit and then wake up the next day. Well, imagine you do that, but you're not in your bed. You're on a plane, right? So um, definitely got to figure out how to clean up any logistics issues. Um, if you know, I I don't know. I don't know what the procedure is. I, I certainly know that it's usually a very smooth operation. Um, so I don't know what the procedure is there, but I do know the weather too was, was a factor. There were delays all over, um, you know, that part of the country. Um, but it just was brutal. And Tyler may have to miss part of training camp at this point. Sean McVay said that he was a PUP candidate, um, this late in the year, having, uh, an injury like that, um, that's going to take a significant amount of time, particularly as well. You're not just looking at, an MCL tear and ACL tear, both significant in themselves, but recovering from both at once at his age. Um, Tyler obviously signed a two year, $27 million extension in September. Um, so this is tough because, um, you know, he would be entering, uh, a, a pretty significant year and, and one that the Rams hoped and expected he would be very productive for. And he himself hoped and expected he would be productive for. And, they're they're thin on tight ends too. Davis Allen uh, looks great. Looks like he's got some real promise. But Bryson Hopkins is going to be a free agent. Hunter Long also barely was on the field, but suffered another season-ending injury. Um, so this is a position to definitely keep an eye on into the draft, um, perhaps into um, veteran free agency. I can't see them making any sort of like splashy signing here, but um, so, uh, you know, a cheap, reliable. Plug, plug and play guy, probably a blocking tight end. Johnny, Johnny Munt comes to mind, frankly, um, getting him back in the <laughs> folds here. Um, I, I, although I don't know what his status is, but I, he's just the name that always comes to mind. Of it's course. Like, you need someone to just kind of do his job until the other guy can get back in the game. That's Johnny Munt. That and is. then Kyron Williams um, had a broken bone in his hand. It was really significant that he could not finish the game. Um, for the Rams, they are quite literally a different offense when he's on the field. That's not to take anything away from Ronnie Rivers. I thought Ronnie Rivers ran, and I, I noted this on social media. He ran with so much courage. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. that's his running style. Is mm-hmm. I would say is is courageous, if that makes sense. Sure. And he, he's just a little guy, but he does he does try so hard, and he, and he was productive um, as much as you could expect. And 
So, but that that was significant. But Kyron, uh, Kyron will not have a, an extensive timeline the way that Tyler will. But it is it was really tough for the Rams that um, you know both of those players and and especially Kyron was not able to be on the field to finish out that game. Yeah, I, you, you're so right, Jordan. I mean, it's almost like you you can feel the air go out of the offense a little bit. It just it, the, everybody knows what a different offense it is with him on the on the field. Yeah, I like Ronnie Rivers though. The the, the all gas, a rivers, no, run, a rivers runs through it. <laughs> all, all gas, no break, uh, running style there for sure. That uh, sometimes that's what you need, and uh, we'll we'll get into that a little bit uh, later. But yeah, just so tough for Tyler Igby, and yeah, just up against it. I mean, you sit here and think, oh, the entire offseason. Well. It's it's only six months now until training camp opens, um, and when you talk about those very serious knee injuries and uh, and uh, an astute point by you, Jordan, just the the older you get, every year that you get is just a little bit harder to recover. Your body just doesn't bounce back the way that it did. So, um, just been a tough go for him, and uh, obviously a huge position for the Rams that they're going to have to address. And we'll get into that a little bit later on too, with some of the uh, the flexibility that they have this off season and uh, some positions they they might want to address. But uh, yeah, yeah those. Are guys you're in for a super a super episode i can tell me and rich are ready to roll yeah today. Right. <laughs> that's a lot to and, and a lot to go over this whole off season too which is which is great but uh you, here's the other thing jordan and, and this is fluid you know you we never know what can happen here in the coming days so we'll, we'll preface this by saying again that we're recording on uh, wednesday afternoon uh january 17th but of, of course when when you, you all talked with, with Sean McVay this afternoon or this morning, um, staff changes come up uh, as they as they do every year. Uh, we know going in right now that the Rams have already lost Eric Henderson, a huge part of that defensive staff going over uh, to USC to be the co-defensive uh, coordinator. Um, huge loss. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Raheem Morris. He is once again a candidate for for some of these jobs. Uh, Jordan, I, let's I'll have you fill us in on on those job interviews in a second here. But uh, what do you what do you expect? Obviously, we we don't know what's going to happen with Raheem Morris, and that can cause a whole bunch of dominoes uh, or down the line. But but going in, I, I have to think that the thought is that this is going to be a little bit calmer of of an off season than it was a year ago with this staff. Is that going in at least? Is that the way that they're thinking? Yeah, there's a couple a couple points here, and and um, one is that Sean McVay all but bluntly said he he's not firing anybody. Um, I think we all had one eye on the special teams situation. Um, it was the worst special teams unit in the league by a wide margin. Um, it was an historically bad special teams unit. I will say, I did note small and incremental improvement over the last two games of the regular season that has to from tackling to um other than the missed other than the missed extra point there in San Francisco but the tackling on the coverage units um the the uh the punting the direction um in, in uh, the wild card game the kicking was fine um and so you 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 just usually I think usually when a coordinator signs a signs a contract, it's a two year deal. Some teams do it differently, but generally across the league, it's a two year deal when a coordinator signs a contract. And it sounds here to me like it's not that Sean McVay is giving that a pass, but giving, I think, a little bit long, a, a little bit of the the normal runway through the span of the contract to let people grow and develop. And I would imagine significant. Um, Checkpoints for improvement are also required. I think that Sean also took some of the blame on himself for putting Brett Maher in some bad positions. 
Um, you want a 50 yarder to be automatic for a kicker in today's NFL, but uh, you also sh- probably should be thinking more um, closely about the different situations in which you are going for it on fourth down. And um, I, I do urge you guys to go back. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later on in the show, but I do urge you guys to go back and read or listen or whatever to some face comments on late game situations and down management. Um, and it, it was just a very rough, I think, open look, not excusing anything, but an open look at uh, what, how he thinks about this and also sort of a hint at maybe some reframing and shifting and thinking in, in the coming years. But so special teams, that'll stay intact um, unless guys get new jobs that are promotions elsewhere, which is uh, um, the only way you can um, not get blocked from these interviews. Um, if they're lateral, you can block them. If they are not lateral, if they're a, a step forward or in Erica Henderson's case at a college level, um, you can't block it. Um, then you're going to see a lot of continuity on the staff. And I think that's a good thing for, for the Rams. Um Keeping an offensive coordinator two years in a row. Wow, what a concept, right? And and that's going to be really helpful. You know, Michael LaFleur does so much to help Sean McVay delegate some of the responsibilities um, that, that are go on behind the scenes through the course of a week of game planning and coaching and and um, teaching and, and managing different things and, and also has allowed Sean to work more with the defense as well alongside Raheem Morris. And you're seeing uh, Zach Robinson, the quarterbacks coach, um, get some opportunity, some some requests for o- the OC opportunity. Um, Nick Underhill is uh, out in New Orleans is reporting that the Saints are interested. Um, I would I would not be surprised to hear Jake Peets get a couple of, of interview requ- requests. He was really important in the development of some of their younger wide receivers alongside Eric Yarber. Um, Eric Yarber always deserves to have his name pop. Um, we'll see if that happens this year. And Raheem Morris is, is in the interview process over the next two weeks with five different places, um, Washington, Carolina, Atlanta, Seattle, and the chargers. And so Sean McVay noted today that, uh, when we talked to him, this today being Wednesday, that exercising patience in the situation, seeing how it plays out. He said that the biggest change year over year in his hiring process was how patient he was entering this year. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago or last week, I guess time has no meaning. He wooed Mike Munchak to consult for this offensive line consulting job for months. Like it was, he, it was, he, he really was patient in trying to build out a four person offensive line coaching room that's an, a larger investment than I've seen the Rams make in that in that particular position group in a while, uh, if ever, since I've been here. And that took a long time. You know, it took time to uh, make sure that, you know, Aubrey Pleasant could come back. It took time to build out some of the the hires, Ryan Wendell, Nick Cayley. Um, it, it took time to reshuffle some of the the positions on that defensive staff and retain people. And Sean, I thought it was one of the more interesting things he noted today was about what taking, being patient in that regard, what difference it made in the quality and caliber of the people on the staff that he wanted to also make sure that they weren't just going to be one and done guys, that they were going to also be around 
um, for this continuity. The plan, we know this, they were playing with house money this year. The plan has always been at look an eye on 2024. So the same thing with the coaching staff. You wanted people who were good teachers, who could help players grow with always with an eye on what the group could accomplish together in 2024. So he's also going to wait to fill that defensive line coach position until um, after they know whether or not Raheem Morris is getting a head coaching job. And those interviews, like I said, are happening over the next week, two weeks. And he did mention, I thought was interesting, one in-house candidate who I think is a strong candidate, AC Carter, who was Eric Henderson's assistant D-line coach this last year. Um, Eric Eric Henderson has a, na- a real knack for picking D-line coaches. Um, he identified Marcus Dixon, and Marcus Dixon went and got a job with the Denver Broncos. Um, and AC Carter, I've talked to him a couple of times, and I think he's really bright, up-and-coming coach. They might want somebody with more experience in there. I don't know, but... Sean basically insinuated that he'll leave a lot of that finality of decision in Raheem's hands, because if they do lose Raheem and they go for a a defensive line or excuse me, a defensive coordinator, um, then that coordinator will probably want to staff out some spots himself. That's kind of how it works. So um, that's the lay of the land. But it's it's remarkable to see a little bit more continuity than there has been in previous years. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I'm sure that'll help Sean McVay too. Yeah, you just don't want to have this this turnover. The offense, I didn't, I hadn't even thought about the offensive coordinator, but that's such a great point. I mean, going back, it's like it's like a revolving door. So I can't even imagine what that'll be like to have that continuity um, over year over year. I want to drill down on Eric Henderson a little bit because um, I, you've you've written and spoken about this ad nauseum, but I, I think it deserves a fresh hearing uh, in in the the fact that he's then now leaving. Um, both in terms of just what he meant uh, to this defense, to that staff, uh, to individual players like Aaron Donald, who we all know, you know, adored, still does, I'm sure, adore Eric Henderson. Um, and then also this thought came into my head, Jordan, and it 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 might be a ridiculous thought, but I I wanted to ask you, were you at all surprised that Eric Henderson took this job with USC? Um, not knowing exactly what was, you know, in the middle of these interviews with Raheem Morris, where the Rams theoretically might have an opening there at defensive coordinator. Were you surprised at all that he made that jump now as opposed to waiting, say, a month and seeing how that works out with with Raheem? I'm not surprised because the pattern that, first of all, Eric Henderson would have been a deserving candidate for that defensive coordinator job. He calls the the games in the preseason and does a great job. Um, he's an incredible talent developer. Um, he's a good dude. Um, players love him. 
I, I imagine the recruiting boost, honestly, now that yeah. he's going to be in the college ranks, I'm like, all right, well, good luck to everyone else, I guess. Because once you talk to Eric Henderson, you're like, oh, I'd run through a wall for that guy. Um, and, and some people probably have, frankly. Um, <laughs> and uh, one thing, though, is I'm not surprised about this. Sean McVay has shown a pattern in his coordinator hires, both um, offensive and defensive and special teams, although that gets a lot less attention um, than the other two spots. Um, he's always gone external. And so if you're a coach and you a see that pattern where he's gone external for his coordinator hires, or you see that maybe over a couple of years, somebody internally is being positioned um, to potentially inherit the role should Raheem Morris ever leave, um, then I, I'm not surprised that you you take this opportunity. Um, I think about like uh, a Chris Shula, who Sean McVay has positioned at different in different position groups over the past couple of years, seemingly in, intentionally, um, because there were he did not have experience coaching certain groups, and so I think you you keep one eye on that if you're someone who also thinks that you could do the job. Um, you know, I think you keep one eye on like what other people are learning around you and, and, and what's kind of going on internally. And then I think you also look at the history that Sean McVay shows, which is he has, again, he's gone, he's always gone outside of his own staff for coordinators. And a huge part of that is he likes to get new ideas. He likes to, um, collaborate with somebody who knows something differently than what he knows. Um, Mike LaFleur is a great example of someone he was familiar with, obviously, but he had the secrets and the hidden keys to the Shanahan run game, you know, that that Sean didn't have. And so I think that that was you, you can really with Brandon Staley is a great example. He had right. the secrets and the keys to the Vic Fangio system that um, Sean McVay didn't have and deeply, deeply wanted at that time. We, we, we know this. So that's where I, I kind of look at that um, pattern. And I think it's and, and also, by the way, I, I heard that this was an extraordinarily significant offer for for Eric Henderson as well mm. and and I will say he really deserves that so right. I think if what, there's a misconception about what assistant coaches and position coaches get paid in the NFL and this is not a ram specific mm. thing this is league wide there right. is a huge misconception about the amount of money that those guys make and especially relative to the money that is now flowing in college football because yeah. of NIL and because of recruiting and those types of things um, the, the, there is not even a comparison, um, yeah. in the, in the spike, if you are uh, a well-paid and highly respected position coach or coordinator in college, uh, at this point versus if you are a position coach in the NFL, it's like night and day different. So, uh, yeah. that's, that's gossiped about and chattered about it in places like the combine and the senior bowl every year where all the assistants are all in one place and they're like, man, do you see this crap in college? Like not crap, but do you see this in college? Like. <laughs> And then they're like, oh, I ha I'd have to recruit if I went and did that. But oh, my God, the money, like and all this stuff. But yeah. the other thing, too, though, is is um, Eric Henderson is such a teacher. Right. And that is he's going to have his work cut out for him with that group. He's such a teacher. He deserves an opportunity to, co again, coordinate a defense. And he'll be doing that at USC. And all of those things combined, I think, just made it such a such a huge pull for him. And, and, um, you could tell the Rams will really miss him. I do worry. I think, you know, Aaron Donald told us post game on Sunday 
that he wanted to roll back the same energy that he felt in, in 2024 and that he said the words for sure when I asked him if he was committed to that. Um, I do worry, though, about, uh, you know, Eric Henderson's his guy. He mm-hmm. loves playing for him. And so I, I kind of have one eye on that situation as well. Um, Aaron Donald did not lose a step. He has he's still greatness personified. Um, but it's it's one of those things where like that's his guy that Eric right. Henderson is his guy. So um, you have to be really careful and intentional with how you restaff that position and also um, seek input from one of your leaders who absolutely deserves to um, have input in that position. Right. And I'll say this on behalf of the USC community. If Aaron Donald wants to uh, retire and become USC's defensive line coach, I think they could probably <laughs> find a spot for him. Does he under, have any eligibility left in college? Yeah, I I know, maybe we could yeah. change his name. Uh, Darren Arnold. Yeah, it's a totally different guy. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, I completely understand, as you know, um, Jordan, and I have some, I have some toes in that USC water as well, and uh, it makes uh, it's a slam dunk for USC for any number of reasons uh, to bring in a guy with his um, acumen and his personality, and uh, to a to a staff that desperately needs somebody like him for any number of reasons. So I can understand why they were backing up the truck to uh, to pull to pay whatever it takes uh, to bring in Eric Henderson. But yeah, obviously a huge position. And um, yeah, it's it's that silly season. I mean, there's a lot will happen, I'm sure, over the next uh, couple weeks here. It always does. But I uh, would love to see Raheem Morris get a shot at this. I mean, you look at the work that he's done. I know we can dissect every individual game and every individual quarter. And, and, you know, I'm sure people will poke holes, but you look at the body of work and it's hard to argue that, uh, you know, he doesn't deserve a, a second look somewhere. And uh, I, I hope that he does uh, get that even, even though it would cause the ramps a little consternation. Um, but uh, you, you, you could be, you could be uh, really shitty on third and medium and third and long mm-hmm. this year and also be a great teacher, culture builder and there communicator. You so there you go. Two things, <laughs> well, can, multiple be things can be true multiple at the same time. That's exactly. <laughs> so when's that t-shirt coming out, by the way? That's a, a that's a really long, mm-hmm. we could actually have just like yeah. the Rams this last season and we all chuckled and smirked at it. Jokes on us, as it turns out, um, that we can put that entire quote just there on the third down and culture and multiple things being true on one T-shirt. And for better, even to juice it up, just like the Rams did this last summer, we can do like an and and an ampersand and the same Mm. sentence. And we can put like a little embroidered ab tack in the corner on the collar. Like I'm this is high fashion, guys. Can Can we make it available in bone? We have a friend, I believe, in Norway who is on the case on this. So. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know what that's going to do for shipping costs, but that, that's <laughs> I'm, I'm all in favor of looking into that. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I don't even remember where we were. But um, so anyway, let, let, let's pivot. Let's pivot to the game, Jordan, because it, it was a, a significant um, a game. And uh, you, I agree a hundred percent with what you said. And I've said this to anybody else who will listen, they were playing with house money. It doesn't mean you wanted to lose this game. It doesn't mean that you're happy to lose this game. Uh, but you can't come away. If, if you're a Rams fan, I, I just, I can't see how you come away from, from this season, from that game with anything, of, but a good feeling of, wow, that was much better than I thought it would be. And now I have hope and now we're not sitting here talking about a top five draft pick. We're talking about how to push this forward next season and keep that momentum going. Jordan, here, here was my thought as, as this game finished, okay, on, on Sunday night. 
If I had gone to Rams fans before the game and said, I'm going to give you this parlay. I'm going to give you these four facts that are going to happen in this game. And you can choose whether or not to take it. Okay. Fact number one, the Rams are going to allow 24 points, including three points in the second half against a Lions team that I think came in averaging about 28, if I remember correctly. And first, uh, excuse me, third in EPA. Okay. In, yeah. Top, top five offense, no matter how you look at it, probably, right? Fact number two, Rams aren't going to turn the ball over. Fact number three, you're not going to have any special teams disasters. Fact number four. Oh, I'm Matt. out. <laughs> Fact number four, Matthew Stafford's going to throw for 367 yards. If I had gone to you before the game and said, I guarantee you that these four things are going to happen, you would have said the Rams are going to win this game. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I, I don't see any way around that. It, when you look at it, what prevented them from winning this game? They make three trips to the red zone and they kick three field goals. And and you can look. I know we're going to talk about the late non-call on pass interference, but but that's not. They made they got inside the twenty three times, and they could not. If they get in the end zone once out of those three times, they probably win this game. Is that too simple, Jordan? I mean, I know there's a lot within this game, but I just thought, man, they put themselves in a position. All they had to do was get across that goal line one time, and this game probably goes their way. The broadest, in the broadest sense, yes, that was, I I would say this, um, that was the biggest swing between two teams that were so evenly matched throughout much of this game. And and, um, that was the biggest swing in terms of the Lions scored when they got in the red zone and the Rams did not. 0 for 3 in the red zone is significant. And the Rams actually, I believe, were a top five red zone team in terms of scoring points. Previous to that, I think you can relitigate some of the play calling. Um, one of the plays that will stick in all of these guys' crawl for a while is that missed connection to Cooper Cup from Matthew Stafford. Um, right. You can argue the throw for sure. You can argue the play call for sure. Um, a lot of the stuff that they run between Matthew and Cooper are 1 million percent based on timing and and being in a spot without having to look or um, even know that that person is in the spot, they just are. And I'm concerned about the lack of timing between these two all year, all yeah. year. You yeah. can argue about the throw. I get it, guys. It's not, it's not any one person's fault, and I'm certainly not putting that play on Cooper Cup. I am not doing that. However, there has been a timing issue and and uh, a, a clear and obvious pain issue yeah. um, between the two of those guys all season. And Cooper, um, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, um, it, you know, being Wednesday. We, you, you guys are kind of getting their off seasons together and all of that at this point. We, we haven't had a chance to talk to him. And I think my number one question would be what are you able to share what really what's been going on in terms of the pain that you've played through this year? I think we forget exactly what it physically took for Cooper to have that 2021 season, mm. that triple crown season, what he played through, what he, the, the energy output, um, the physical output, the mental output, I, I think, and, and you, you could see the toll that it took on him the year after and the year after that. 
And so I, I, I worry about that on a, on a human level and I wonder about it on an analytical level about can you, can he get back to being the Cooper Cup or even being, um, you know, 85%, 70% of the Cooper Cup that we know. And that's not to minimize the effort that he put into it. He was the motion player on, I think, like 75% of, of the offensive snaps that they use motion on. And that is super effective. He's run blocking. He's sealing edges. Like he's doing an incredible job of all the things that we know Cooper Cup to do an incredible job of doing. It's just that they're off. They're just Mm -hmm. off. And I have Mm -hmm. to think there's a physicality to that where it's like, you know where you're supposed to be in the spot you're supposed to be in. Can you quite get there because your body is sort of betraying you? That's my question. I don't know Mm -hmm. the answer to it. That's my question. And so I think that when you're talking about the red zone and that being the biggest swing in this game, um, that was huge. The other thing I'll point to is the pressure got there way too late. The Rams defense came out looking um, more uptight than they have. Even at the beginning of the year, they knew they were going to come in and make big mistakes. This defense played hard and it played free, even on games where they gave up just massive gaffes, which there's been, you know, every... Every couple of weeks, there's there's a big one that pops, right? But with a young group, probably to be expected, certainly to be expected. But at the same time, they played fast and free and aggressive, and they were really having issues with yards after contact, particularly in the back half, Jordan Fuller being gone yeah. um, to lend that little extra dose of security blanket, that physicality, um, to get down into the box like he has been doing a little bit more of this season. Um, they missed that. And I talked to Ernest Jones post game. Ernest was furious with himself. He did not think he had a good game. Um, and he said that we, he said, and I'm slightly paraphrase, paraphrasing and remembering this quote. He said, we know that we have to come out and take it. We can't, we can't do this, do what we did today. We, if this is a playoff game, we have to come out and take it right away. Yeah. And so the, those 21 first half points, I would say a lot of that was yards after the catch issues. Um, there were some coverage breakdowns, I will say, by the way, <laughs> on the Amon Ross sideline. They were testing. They were trying to get Jared to throw outside the hashes to see if he would, and he did. And it was a beautiful throw and catch uh, by Amon Ross. St. Brown, it was down the sideline with Kella Witherspoon in coverage. If you want your corners to play more aggressive coverages, sometimes that will happen. If you are, if you are someone who doesn't want to um, go slowly insane because you can't see your corners on your TV screen because they're backed up in a shell to prevent explosive pass plays and you want to see them pushed up tight against the line of scrimmage, that's fine. But sometimes that will happen. And that happened in in that case. Um, They made a a great play. I will say one of the big issues besides the 21 first half points, it's, it's multiple things are true, guys. Outstanding job by this defense in the second half all the way down until that last Lions drive, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and and uh, in, in the second half, giving up just three points, just outstanding job. First half, problems, big problems, lack of complimentary pressure. The, the idea was to get to Jared Goff. Jared Goff was nine for 10 in his first 10 throws. The only throw he missed was when Kobe Turner actually did get that pressure from the inside on Jared Goff. I mean, think about that. That was proof of concept right there. (laughs) And some of the issue is the lack of complimentary pressure. If it comes from the inside, it's not following up on the outside. If it comes from the outside, it's not following up the inside. And I saw a bunch of comments on, well, why don't you just start blitzing more, start blitzing more? They did in the second half. But if you're blitzing, you're then taking away uh, 
defensive players that are that give outlets to offensive players in the back half where they were already really vulnerable missing Jordan Fuller. So if you're going to blitz extra players, you're automatically losing a numbers advantage in parts of the defensive backfield. And so that's that's the bargain you have to make. And especially yards after if if they're winning with yards after catch and again you you're missing one of your starting safeties, then that's hard to decide okay, we're going to start blitzing more because then you leave more of the back half of the field vulnerable to um, you know, a quarterback who has come into the game planning that he's going to get the ball out of his hand fast. So th- there's there's just there's always a mathematical equation to keep into effect, but between that 21 first half points and even more significantly the swing of that 0 for 3 in the red zone, those were and specifically I think even more so the latter um, that was, it, it's, you have, you have to score touchdowns there. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I, I agree a hundred percent with what you said about the defense, Jordan. And it's funny, as you were talking there, I was kind of looking over my, my game notes here and that they are not comprehensive by any means, but I kind of write down words every so often to remind me, you know, what, what happened on the play. And I, I will write down break when, when there's a, a broken tackle and I'm just, I'm looking at it, you know, four times I haven't, I haven't gone through every play, but it's, and, and some of them are just, it's, it's, you know, swing pass break, you know, out, out break, dump break, you know, and it, yeah. it's little, it's little things there that should have been two yard receptions that turned into 16 yard receptions that turned into 10. Yeah. Uh, and, things and, like that. Yeah. And no bigger, no, none of more significance, I would say than the missed tackle by Michael Hoyt out in the flat on the little catch and run play um, right. that got the first down on the other side of the two minute that forced Sean to burn his last time out. Right. Um, and then they obviously they iced out the game with that 11 yard uh, pass quick, quick throw um, to um, Amon Ross St. Brown yeah. with Quentin Lake in coverage. You know, I felt for Quentin Lake. I talked to him post game. He said he basically put the entire game on his own shoulders and right. I'm like, you can't do that. I get why I get why you feel that way, and I'm not going to tell you how to feel. But I, uh, you can't do that. It was not down to that one play. No, um, there were things that happened before that that we'll get to, and we're talking about now. But um, that missed tackle by Mike Hoyt that was significant. And again, you know, we we've said this all year, Rich. We talked about this over and over and over again. And the the issues that started out as issues for the Rams. Outside linebacker, corner, uh, I would say the one that has been alleviated by an enormous amount is interior defensive line. Outside linebacker, corner, pressure and coverage that complement each other consistently. That has showed up all year. The the personnel that needs to change has showed up all year. The Rams, this was the the bargain they they struck when they decided they were going to be disciplined. So outside linebacker, still a need, right? right. I, I'd argue for a veteran too, because it's kind of a, 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 a lower caliber top of the draft class here. Um, this is probably where you go spend your money. Um, I would, they are going to need a corner or two. I would say two, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and so yeah. this is pressure coverage, pressure coverage that, that complement each other consistently enough to affect the quarterback in that multifaceted way. That was an issue at the start of the year. It was an issue in the middle of the year. It's an issue on third and medium. It's an issue on third and long. It's an issue in late game scenarios where there's breakdowns. And it was an issue on Sunday. 
Yeah, we know this. Yeah, and is there's nothing that surprised anybody coming out of this game. I mean, these are the things that you look to all They're season long. That, that, yeah, 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 and and that's just what it. And all those things said, Jordan. I mean, you you talk about all the things that went wrong there, especially in the first half. They were only down twenty one to seventeen. Mm-hmm. And and if you if I had gone to you at that point and said the Rams are only going to allow three more points in the second half, you and you're a Rams fan, you would have done a backflip and you would have said. We're going. We're going to the second round, um, and, it, and it just didn't happen. Let's let's talk a little bit. Let's drill down to that last Rams offensive sequence because obviously yes, that's been a, a real point of conversation. And and I'll, I'll just I'll set the table. I know everybody, probably ninety nine percent of the people listening to this watch the game and know exactly this. So real briefly, okay, they drive down to the Detroit thirty four. It's third and four. Uh, they it was actually a pass that would not have picked up a first down. It was a loss. Rob Havenstein gets called for holding. Uh, the Lions choose to back up the Rams 10 yards, puts them in a third and 14 at the Detroit 44. I don't, uh, and this, I'd like you to speak to this, Jordan, uh, in, a, in a second here. I don't know exactly what the play call was. I don't know exactly what Matthew Stafford's options were on the play, but the end result was that Matthew Stafford ends up trying to pick up the first down, throws a pass that, that was going to be beyond the marker if it had been completed. It was not completed. And then there's also the dispute of whether or not there was a certain uncalled penalty um, on the play. Puts the Rams in a fourth and 14. They choose to punt the ball with four little over four minutes left, and obviously they don't get it back. The game ends, they lose the game. Real quickly from from my perspective, Jordan, and I want I would like you please to to break down that entire sequence from your perspective. I didn't have a problem with the punt. Um you, it's four minutes left. Uh I, I know that's a really, really iffy proposition. The Rams had played very good defense in the second mm-hmm. half. They'd only allowed four first downs in the entire half to that point. Four minutes is enough time if you get some if you get a stop and you get the ball back with maybe two minutes, a minute forty left. I I understand. I don't take Sean to task with that. I didn't like the third down. I'm not gonna say I didn't like the call because I didn't. Again, I don't know what exactly Matthew was looking at there. I would have liked to have seen you play you you give them two plays to pick up the yards. Uh, whether it's a screen pass, whether it's whatever it may be, uh, you know, jet sweep, you know, whatever it may be, uh, two plays to get those 14 yards rather than going for it. And then you don't get it and you're faced with a fourth and 14. Maybe it's more complicated than that. I, I am open to the to the possibility that it certainly is. But what w- w- as you were watching it and and now as you have talked to people over the last couple of days here, um, how do you kind of break down the way that that whole thing went over that, you know, two minute span there? Yeah. So the kick, if they, so let's say that the Lions would not have uh, accepted the yards on the penalty. So accepting the yards means that they could replay the third down. Um, it would have made it a 51 yard field goal. Right. So that's yeah. doable, though. I don't know that Sean would have kicked it at that point. He probably, at that point, he probably would have still, knowing this, this is what he's saying in hindsight. Okay. So <laughs> who knows right. what he would have done in real time, right. but, um, understanding Maher, um, and, and some of the, the trauma that has occurred this year. Um, I have to imagine they would have gone for it either way on that third and four. And Sean said today, they were really thinking anything 10 yards, eight yards under on a uh, fourth down there, they were going to go for it. Um, so, and I have to believe, I mean, as I don't, he has no reason really to lie. They lost the game. No. Yeah. He's open about his, uh, he's open about his, uh, phobia. 
his phobia is a fourth downs. Yes. yes. So I don't think there's any worry there from him about like how he, how he sounds on some of this stuff. Um, so the kick on the third and four would have been 51. So again, you, you make a call, but I would imagine they would go for it there. The hold picking up the yards in the hold. So obviously that makes it a 61 yarder. So there's no way <laughs> they're going for that. Um, and uh, in terms of a kick. And so the third and 14, that's tough. Yes, there was a missed PI call, in my opinion. The refs, though, seemed to make a conscious after the the way the first half went. There was a a missed call on uh, Ernest Jones, and it went the Rams' way. So it seemed to me that the refs made a little bit of a conscious decision. We were talking about this up in the press box. A conscious decision to um, kind of play the game out like sort of a quote unquote, let them play kind of thing in the second half, which again, that does not show consistency a half over half, but at the same time, um, that could potentially explain missing a Jersey tug by, uh, Sutton on Puka Nakua. Um, also pressure got to Stafford quick on that play. Um, so, uh, he had to rush the throw a little bit. So it looks like, Puka is in double coverage, actually, if the play unfolds the way that it's supposed to with a, an extra half a second. Um, the linebacker cruises right past him. <laughs> the way you have a you have the um option to cut the route short because if mm. there if there's pressure on the play, again, it's all about this offense is so much on timing. You have a you have an option to cut the route a little bit if there's pressure or if you have a certain type of leverage. To where the quarterback can let the ball go at a certain time. Puka had an advantage against the cornerback. The linebacker was coming in hot, yes, but that is a throw that Stafford and Puka make, you know, at least once a game, um, and, and and all of that. He had the leverage. There's also a little bit of an option if the quarterback has time for that crosser to continue. So he would have been open. The linebacker would have just whooshed right by him. Uh, and and if you contact and if you contact him in the middle to mess up the route, then that's a flag. You know, right. you know what I mean. So yeah. it was the play was there, is what I'm saying. Okay. The play was there to be made. Is is kind of what I'm trying to get at. Um, I do think that the the um, the contact affected the play. I also saw Puka get his hands on the ball. Um, you know, he is an outstanding player. He had an outstanding game on a personal level. I hate it for him that this is all he will remember about this game. Yeah. Um, at the same time, they should have never been in a situation on a third and 14. And to me, what's worse than arguing about calls and things like that is that you didn't you didn't sequence the post hold situation as a two down sequence. Right. Like you. Sean sequences plays on his play sheet and it's down and distance based and situational and coverage based. And there's all kinds of different options to flow off of on this, on this call. Right. And what you could have done was turn it into a two down sequence already have made up your mind that you're going for it on fourth down. Right. And you could have said, okay, we don't need 14 yards in one play. Let's try for nine. Let's yep. try for six. Mm -hmm. Let's set up again. Like you mentioned, their screens were working. Puka ran up a screen on the left side earlier in the game, and their screens have quietly become some of the best in the league under Ryan Wendell, who does a lot of the work on those screens um, with Sean McVay. And that could have worked And in terms of getting a little more yardage for you, um, setting up a little bit more of an advantageous fourth and go. And you also would have salted more of the freaking clock out. 
Right. Like a screen will burn clock the way a run will burn clock. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, yep. or burn yep. time or force Dan Campbell to, to use a timeout. And so not having a two play plan there where you're not just having to bite off the entire thing in one go. I get it. Sean said today he had the coverage he wanted. The play was there to be made. I get it. Okay. We, we're not even having this conversation if they make that. Right. They make that first down. Right. The play was there to be made. I agree with McVeigh on that. The play was there to be made. However, if you are already in the habit and the mindset that you are going to go for it on fourth down and you're going to be aggressive and you're going to try to win the game with a touchdown, and at the worst case, you win it with a field goal after having gotten a first down and insulting more of the clock away ahead of the two-minute warning to put Jared Goff in a position against your defense, who has allowed three first-half points, to try to go win a game under the two minute warning. If, yeah. if, if that much yeah. time, um, because you have a touchdown, like that's, I mean, that's, that's my issue with all of this. Yeah. I mean, in a vacuum, the way they manage that down distance in a sudden change, I get it. It's a sudden change after mm. that penalty. That was the issue for me. And, and yes, the yeah. call was bad guys, multiple things being true, but like there's no yeah. call. Yeah. Multiple things being true, but I'm talking about the things you can control that you're not putting in the hands of the officials, that you're not leaving up to human subjectivity. You can absolutely control the way you manage that sequence on third on third down, turning it into a two down sequence, third and fourth down. And actually, I asked Sean McVay about this today, and he said he that's what he would have done in hindsight. So it's like these are things; these are learning moments, obviously. Yeah. But but this type of thing, I mean, that that is you need you need to win and lose games with the things that you can control. Right. You cannot leave things up to subjectivity or human nature. This is football, right? right. Like it, you have to control every variable you possibly can. And sequencing a third and 14 into a third and five and a fourth and nine, they were going to go for it 10 yards and under. That's right. he said that. Right. So sequencing that together, at least killing a little bit more clock, at least yeah, and 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 that at the same time, it is also true that that play was there to be made. So this it's just yeah. you know we have no, to I, multiple things. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get that. And and again, if 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 what you described happens and they they make the catch, then we're sitting here saying, oh my gosh, what an amazing throw, what an amazing catch, and wow, the Rams are in the second round. But I I don't look at it that way. I I look at it purely. I mean, if if you want to dissect it even down to just the percentages and and not to get too nitty gritty with it, but like let's look at the let's look at the league. What what percentage of third and fourteens get picked up? I, I'm gonna guess it's pretty low. Uh, whereas if you do just what you described, Jordan, get it down to, you know, pick up seven yards, uh, then you're looking at a fourth and, and uh, seven. Yeah. And uh, Sean, you know. and Sean did mention that too. In his answer, yeah. he mentioned the feel and flow of the game versus percentages. I felt like yeah. I interpreted that he was talking specifically. He saw the coverage he wanted and he saw the play that was there to be made. However, okay. yeah. however, I agree. <laughs> and I agree with you, Rich. However, that doesn't mean that's, that will be the most high probably high probability scenario of right. all the choices <laughs> right you know? especially in this era where that's such a, you know like that, that's that's what the coaches are relying on so much now is what do they oh fourth and five and under you go for it 100% like that that whole mindset has changed dramatically in the last uh, few years so that's just what surprised me that they wouldn't look at it in that situation in terms of let's try to get this into fourth and manageable rather than let's try to pick it all up right now um, I get it. He's see, you know, he's in the moment. He's in the flow. 
he he sees something that makes him think I can get 15 yards here. I, I look, he's a, he's <laughs> he's he's well beyond my football acumen. I'm not going to question that, but just in terms of exactly what you said, Jordan, in terms of the approach to it, I just would have approached that a little bit differently. I would have said we need to get to the 30 yard line. How, what's the most efficient? What's the the uh, what's our best chance to get that ball to the 30 yard line? Is it to make one throw? Or is it to make two throws? And and I would have picked the two. But but I, I understand, you know, I understand what Sean's saying. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I also would argue that you would have a little bit of an advantage because you would be breaking your own tendency if you turned it into a two down sequence because they don't do that. And you you would maybe have a little bit of the element of surprise that Dan Campbell has sort of put in a bottle and and perfected this this season um, with with that Lions offense and how aggressive they are in certain scenarios, like fourth and backed up, like they'll go for it. Well, Sean McVay is not going to two down sequence. He just hasn't. He just hasn't this year. He hasn't in his entire career uh, as a head coach. So yeah. let's say that you you run a screen on third and 14. They think you're setting up a kick. <laughs> right. Because that's right. what he's always done. They right. think you're setting right. up a, a damn kick. Right. And then you go for it on fourth down. Talk about a tendency breaker. Talk about catching someone off guard on their heels. That's, that's my argument. I just think that yeah. there are opportunities... The pass play in itself, that was one form of playing aggressive. I respect that. Um, but there there are so there are some opportunities for growth and to add more depth into that um the 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 mind games aspect of it. And I think that with so much information available to us and to head coaches now and so many resources available that they do use and they do have, they run all of the probability, they do have an, a robust right. analytics group like effort that uh Jake Temme leads and and uh, Brian Zanders goes through all all of the situationals. Um, shout out! I think his brother listens to this podcast, so hello. Um, and, <laughs> and you know they go through. They have these. They have the crew. They have the information. They have 
top, you know, top level data and all, and they're having these conversations, they're talking about these things. At the end of the day, if it's not within uh and I and I believe too, and I I do know that in in talking with Sean that these are things that he's going back and taking a look at, not just this game, but throughout the course of the year, some of the the win probabilities, I think it really irked him. I mentioned to him the other day that Rams left 38 points on the board uh, from missing field goals or extra points and quantifying it in, in that way, I think uh, yeah. really bothered him. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I do think that it is something that they're for sure uh, going to look at and for sure um, going to talk about and do a deep dive on this this offseason. Um, but yeah, and, and like then, the, the, then like on the other side of it, you know, you don't have your timeouts because the crowd was a factor. You it was a hostile crowd, uh, playoff crowd. You had to use your timeouts to um, avoid delay penalties, and um, you know it just was it, it kind of all of the little things that ended up deciding the game. It was margin. It was thin margins, tiny margins. Yeah. They knew this coming in. Um, for the most part, though, and then and then there's a saltiness too, Rich, because they're watching. And Rob Havenstein actually mentioned this on his call. They're watching the teams that did make it through the round, and they think they could beat those teams. Oh, yeah. So and and like it it, it it's it's like, you know, there's a there's a saltiness there. I, I would say because I'm a silver linings person, I would say you did more than what anyone thought you were going to do. Congrats. Mm-hmm. Also, you're just pissy enough to let this fuel you. You're just salty right. enough right. to let this fuel you um, into sticking with your process with Sean, sticking with discipline, sticking with his patient and the methodical approach that they utilized this year in so many different areas of their roster uh, sprint rebuild is now what I'm I like. I kind of like using that sprint. Rebuild. That's cool. I, kinda like, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like it. Yeah. So then go. So all of the patience and and methodical intentional decision making and process oriented mindset sticking with that understanding it got you right where you needed to be and being just salty enough to like get the job done next time i think that that's uh i think that that's you know they they are yeah. all really really uh smarting from this this one yeah. hurt them yeah. um you could hear it you could see it um, in my column, I described the juxtaposition between one of the most hostile playoff crowds um, that really brought it, knowing that they were going to have to provide an advantage any way possible, by any means necessary, were the heel in every way, hmm. um, and then were, you know, feeling the exuberance of of making history the way that they did, and juxtaposing from that, literally riding down the elevator into deep and miserable silence. Um, of the Rams visiting locker room. Hmm. Um, it, it was quite the juxtaposition and it's something that they're going to remember for a really long time. Gosh. And, and I'm looking at my notes here. I mean, we didn't even really talk about Puka Nakua's. <laughs> How can a guy get 181 yards? And I know he's and, amazing. Uh, but uh, listen, J- Jordan has now covered this. I mean, our, our subscribers, I'm sure have already read her, her outstanding, um, you know, post game column and, and uh, story off of, uh, you know, Sean McVay's availability today. There's so much more out there, but Jordan, let's, let's, let's pivot a little bit. It is, there's a long, as I like to say, the NFL, the off season, the, the wheel never stops really spinning. I mean, there's a couple of down weeks here where, while well, the playoffs finish, but there's coaching interviews and there's, you know, we'll go right into the combine in, in a few weeks. So let's just, we're, we're going to play all this out over the next few weeks here, but table setting time, right? Nobody expected 
I, I certainly didn't expect the, the Rams to be in this situation. Um, a few months ago, we were talking about whether or not they'd have a top five draft pick right now. And obviously that's not going to happen. Uh, I think where they're in a situation now is they're coming off this, you know, pull off the Band-Aid year. Uh, they're going to have a lot of salary cap space available. They're going to have more draft picks going in, at least high draft picks than they've had. I don't know, I guess since relocation, right? Um, so there's there's opportunity here. Uh, for me, opportunity means also responsibility. They have to spend that money wisely. They have to make wise draft picks as they have over the last couple of years here. But Jordan, going into this now from the 30,000 foot view of it, what are you looking at? I mean, what what is your, if you could give us just a, a couple minute, maybe off season primer here, um, of things that you're going to be looking at as they attempt to drill down now and identify what are these positions that we need to upgrade? Where is the depth needed? Where are changes needed? Um, what are you going to be looking at? Yeah, so I have several uh, little blurbs of notes written down. The first one is uh, nearly 60 million net cap increase year over year for the Rams. Um, that's significant. It's a lot of that's a lot of money. Lot of money. <laughs> be careful what you guys do with that, you know? Like be disciplined. Yeah, don't, no. Don't make any 15 minutes rushed call phone calls to a, any veteran wide receivers that may be on the market a la 2022. I don't know what you're talking about. After they missed out on Von Miller because it took forever to figure out what right. direction that was going to go in and then panicked. Don't right. do that. Stay right. with your process. Um right. I also have on here. Uh, written on here, Dotson, comma, OL. Um, obviously, Kevin Dotson, outstanding, outstanding addition to the Rams' offensive line um, via trade in August and then got on the field after week four. I think week four was his first game um, with this team. Um, fit in seamlessly and was outstanding. Just really solid player. Earned what will probably be a very high-dollar contract. I... I would imagine that the Rams will at least try to understand what he's looking for and, and whether that's feasible for them. Um, and I also, I'm always going to encourage just like Rob Havenstein did this, uh, yesterday, always going to encourage the player doing whatever they can to do the best for themselves and their families. Um, but Kevin Dotson would be in my mind, I don't run the team, but in my mind would be a priority situation to try to manage, um, you have to do that within reason because you also are probably going to have to go out and get an outside linebacker. Um, I like the idea of them going with their older model and uh, signing a veteran who is not an old veteran. I'm saying a second contract guy or a uh, end of first contract guy um, um, that that an outside linebacker that you sign uh, play then sign or you sign to you do the Leonard Floyd model. Um, they also need a corner or two, but keep in mind that even if, uh, they like Akella Witherspoon, I think put together a really solid season for them. However, he also has probably earned a contract. And then you're also thinking and balancing compensatory picks. So he would be to me, a candidate for, uh, an outside, another team to sign just based on how they want to, uh, continue to use that compensatory pick formula. I have kicking and special teams in all caps and bold <laughs> in my notes. That's um, just a, an every year one. That's yes. not <laughs> <laughs> Abtech. 
Um, I have, uh, have a difficult conversation about where players really are at health wise. Um, you know, hate it for those guys, obviously, but you really have to have that conversation. Um, I wrote need another strong draft that will, uh, or excuse me, need another strong draft executed in the same method that will set the Rams up for 2024 and beyond. Um, I've always said, and Rich, you are my witness as are, are many of lovely, um, and cherished listeners, I have always said that 23 was a setup year for 24. I fully expect the Rams to um, be uh, continue excellent progress to not regress in ways that we've seen other teams, even in the even in the NFC West, regress after a strong draft. You've got to do it two years in a row. You've got to have another strong draft class. You need to continue to refill out not just the starting spots on your roster, but the middle class of your roster as well, the depth positions on cheap deals, so you can con- continue to plant elite players and high dollar veteran acquisitions, um, higher dollar, uh, at, at prime at premium positions, corner outside linebacker, uh, sometimes receiver, although I think they're back to the homegrown method on that, which is sound, (laughs) um, and, uh, pass rush in any way, uh, really focus on the, uh, offensive line, continue to grow on the offensive line, um, whether that's with Kevin Dotson or whether it is again, um, with drafting and developing or adding a player. Um, and those are, those are to me, the, the priorities here. I think that staying, staying in the process that worked for them this year, there's going to be particularly in consideration of, and he, and, and I'm not saying anything Sean McVay has not said about himself, but particularly with the, I think sometimes antsiness of the head coach to gravitate toward, um, the skill player to gravitate toward the, uh, you know, spending the, you know, spending uh, on certain players or the, the, the finances, just when you have it, you want to use it, um, going and acquiring different players, um, you know, imagining what you could do if only you had this guy or that guy. And, and so this year was a real test of discipline. They said it, they on the record, all of them at, at league meetings, <laughs> They said it, that this was going to be a year about discipline 2023. I think that you want to carry through some elements of that in 2024 in the sense that the process you applied to finding these guys, not just the draft picks, but also the veteran free agents that, that's been their process for a while that they really deviated from in 2022, but the process that you applied to so many areas of your roster building and your coaching and um, your development and your talent acquisition um, in 2023 still can apply for 2024. It's just you'll have an extra 60 million to kind of mess around with. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's a great position to be in. I mean, I, you, I think they are steps ahead, maybe even you know a mile ahead of of where we thought they would be at this point in terms of that building process. But again, we said you've got to do. It, it, it's only beneficial if you use it wisely. So uh, it'll be fascinating to track that. Um, the draft will be interesting this year, Jordan. What's it going to be like to actually cover an, an NFL draft the way that <laughs> most uh, you have to dust off your old Carolina uh, playbook and in terms of how to cover a, a draft? But uh, I'm not buying it. I don't think. Uh, oh, like, no. They all joke about it. It's so funny. They all are Greater like, uh, they're all like, oh. Uh, we still have our first round pick for now. For and now. They'll, they'll do like the big, like, look, 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 look at the joke I made kind of expression. And it's like, <laughs> but you're not really joking, are you? Or you might not be. Uh, I don't know. I've I've been 
I've I've grown accustomed to a certain way of life, Rich. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> Uh, look, it, it's going to be fascinating. And uh, I think, you know, objectively speaking, if you're a Rams fan, you should be excited. Um, it doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, you, we see, if, you know, Jordan, you mentioned it earlier in the episode, uh, year over year, it's, it doesn't, one year doesn't guarantee the next, whether it's drafting or on the field success or whatever. There's so much change from year to year. But uh, I, I think uh, you should be optimistic and uh, it should be a very interesting offseason. And I can dar- guarantee you one thing which is that uh, if you're a Rams fan, you can't ask for better coverage than you're going to get from The Athletic, from Jordan Rodrigue. And uh, Jordan, I'm excited um, to see what you're going to have coming uh, in the coming weeks here as we preview all the stuff. You're going to be breaking it all down. And in future episodes, I'm sure we'll be discussing some of these topics um, in in greater depth um, and just to see where all this goes. But uh, thank you to all of our subscribers. Of course, we love you all. We appreciate you. And uh Jordan, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> All this time. And you know what? I mean, we kind of make a joke about this, but like, I do think like if, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, like th- this is a great time because you, you you jump in now in in January and you're going to get, if you sign up an entire year, so we're going to take you through not only the draft and free agency and OTAs and uh, training camp and but the, through the entirety of next season so like that is that is, it's a great time to sign up and i mean that sincerely uh because it will now take you through the entirety as well i guess with the rams make the super bowl next year we won't take you through the entirety but we'll get you close we'll get you close to the uh to the end of the season no matter what so uh i i do encourage you to sign up uh, jordan's coverage is fantastic it's unparalleled and uh if you're not a subscriber please do go to the athletic.com slash 11 personnel join us we would love to have you, and we would love to give you Jordan's favorite thing in the entire world, which is what? A great discount, you guys. Anytime you sign up for The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world and Rich's favorite thing to set up, which is... Oh, I live for it. <laughs> a great discount. Um, guys, this has been a really fun season. I have to say, I, and I wrote this in my column and thank you. There's so many of you that left really kind comment, like really kind words. Um, I try to read everything you guys write to me in the comment section. I try not to do that so much on social media anymore because that has become a kind of a wild place. But, um, I, I read everything that you guys write to each other in our forum, in the athletic. Um, I read everything you guys write to me. Um, I love getting emails. You guys are Feel free to email me, jrodrigue at theathletic.com. Um, off-season thoughts, uh, musings, uh, acrostic poems, haikus, whatever you want. Um, you know, beer recommendations, love those. <laughs> um, you know, I um, I have to say I learned the most about people, um, the dynamics of, of growth, of humanity and reflection and what it means to really study and observe change over time and and beat writing, essentially. Um, This was a year that really challenged me as a beat writer and one that I hope that I grew. I think that I did. And that's that's a really extraordinary, powerful feeling. Um, And you guys were there with me and, and with this team by proxy every step of the way. And I've gotten a lot of messages said this, this might have been certain fans, you know, favorite season. I, I got to tell you, I mean, I held the Lombardi in my hands and this still was my favorite season because so many people grew up 
from the young players on the roster to the head coach. And I was so fortunate and grateful to be a witness, an observer, um, an analyst, uh, part-time psychologist through it all. And um, I just really appreciate you guys for um, being open to my uh, sometimes earnest uh, but very serious, uh, seriously well-intended style of coverage. And I, I cannot thank you guys enough for that. Um, and I, I love, I love doing this. I love that I get to be alive and do this and, and, and watch people grow and change. Um, I will say one thing, this is a, a, a hint for some of the stuff coming this off season that I can't speak on, but I'm very excited about Stay with me for the long game. It's about the long game. That's all I will say. And I appreciate you guys. Um, make sure you're staying caffeinated. Make sure you're staying hydrated. Make sure you are taking care of yourselves. Make sure you're taking care of each other. Um, again, from the bottom of my heart, and I know I'm speaking for Rich as well, thank you so much for following along another year of coverage on this podcast um, over at theathletic.com. Um, Tucker says thank you as well. You guys have kept him fed in a, a very high lifestyle <laughs> manner, which he's become <laughs> accustomed. Um, and and earnestly and and genuinely, um, you are appreciated. You are seen. You are valued. And thank you. And we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.